Windows sucks, but <laughs> yeah, you agree? Bacon, good. How was your trip, man? Uh, it was good. It was, yeah. uh, well, other than the foot pain, it was fine. Was it just from walking or is it like something know. happened? I don't know. I think if I picked the wrong shoes or something. Yeah. Uh, how did the students do uh, in the first few weeks of class? Uh, I think the course is off to a great start. The initial discussions on VoiceThread and Moodle, I think people are asking the right questions and pointing out some cool and interesting things that they can do with data. And also like kind of diving into some of the, the tricky questions about how it should be used and, and what kind of impact it might have. I think that's all great. And this last week, we got our feet wet actually doing our own data analytics and pulling up our sample data in Tableau. And I think things are starting to come together. I had a chance to look at some of the screencasts. It's, uh, I guess we'll talk about it in a second, but it does look like people are on the right track, um, those who have posted anyway. Yeah, I've been in touch with pretty much all of the students. You okay. know, some people are, are bogged down with work. Um, they're, they're teaching and it's right at the end of the year. And That's a couple right. other students are just having some tech support problems. So... You know, just a reminder to everyone, if you're running into technical problems, let me know, let Aaron know, and post in our, just in the learning analytics channel on Slack, and you might get some help. Maybe one of the other students already solved the problem you're having. But also, you can contact IT's tech support at Adelphi. So if you go to, um, you know, the Adelphi website and look for Adelphi IT, they will help you. They've got live chat and they've got live call-in where they could probably give more targeted support. And also, I don't know if anyone's really stuck with the assignment itself, but I would recommend just doing a screencast anyway and show us where you were stuck on. I think we could, as a class, learn a lot. Because I just based on the ones that I've posted, I noticed that people were trying different things. I know that from what I, I think I've seen everyone so far, I think no one did it the way I did, which is fine. And I think it's really interesting. I noticed in some of the discussions, people were noticing the different ways of doing similar things. So I think if you're stuck, then still post it. Don't wait too long. Definitely. Um, I've watched all the videos now, and I really learned some things. One, I think the assignment worked because from the comments on the Moodle, after you watch each other's videos, I think we all learned like some pointers and tips and I definitely learned some things about Tableau prep that I wasn't doing because you guys seem to approach it in a different way. Like what? I'm probably over-engineering my Tableau prep, so I like to write all the rules explicitly. So almost everything I do, I either click on the filter button to add a script that's a filter or to click on the calculated table button and add a calculated column. But that happens automatically when you just like click on a data point and then, you know, choose exclude or something. So, and Tableau records all of that. So you can go back in and see it. If you click on that changes tab, uh, most of you've had that tab closed in your videos, except Beverly definitely had it open. So you could see, you could actually go back in and see what it does because it just writes like a little function that will do the, the filter and so on. Yeah. So when I do my own stuff, like I do them explicitly in the filters, but it's slower and it makes it more complicated. So watching the students do it, like I never would have just edited the names directly in the data, but that's pretty much how everyone did it. And it's really the easiest way to do it in some ways. 
if you're building something where the names are changing and you need to add people and, and drop people, then maybe you want to do something more complicated. And in Aaron's video, which we haven't released to you guys yet, he shows you how to take a different spreadsheet with the names and join it into the data set, which is definitely going to be useful when we're doing more complicated projects. Yeah, I was thinking when I saw students directly changing the name, now this class happens to only have 15 students, and it's not too time-consuming to do it with 15 students. But if you think of a larger data sets, especially if students for the final project, they go out and they look for you know much larger data sets with hundreds of names, let's say, or, or, or anything like that, then doing that manually wouldn't really be a, the best way to do it. And I think that was kind of what I wanted to mention um, watching the videos. And I also think that it's always good to have a way of knowing who the students are once you change it, because you don't have a way of connecting it back. Right. I mean, they can always undo it, but they don't, they don't have both columns at the same time. So they won't know what it was if they wanted to. Like the looking at our own data, uh, it's important for me, even though I've aliased the Moodle data with the Greek names, um, like I know who they are. So I can see, like if you look at the data for this week, which I just updated our website with, you can see Penelope has logged in every day since the course began. More than, more than I have, um, you know, that user is very consistent with it. And then like a user, Jason, they haven't really had a chance to, to log in as much yet. And, and then I can look and see who they are and be like, uh, Penelope, you're doing a great job. Uh, Jason, you might want to try a little harder to find time to log in a couple more times during the week. That's, that's why it might be useful to actually have both the anonymous names and be able to match it back, right? I use a slightly different template for the Moodle data. I'll, I can share that as well, of course. I try to break it down actions per week uh, and per day, and they break it down by day of the week and hour. And I think you had similar things as well. With the one on actions per week, and I don't know, other than Apollo and Hades, uh, I don't actually at this point know who everyone is. So I am noticing, like you said, Penelope seems to log in a lot. And then there's some students who are logging in about twice a week, mostly Sundays and Mondays. It made me think about the fact that, you know, logging in frequently may not necessarily be good or bad. I guess it shows that a student is on top of things, so that's good. But I think from the point of view of an LMS, it would be great if there were you know, notifications so that you'd, you want students to not have to log in just to see if something has updated, but to be able to log in just to participate and, and to do things and just to have a better use of their time. And I was thinking about that. I know that the forum does allow email notifications that I think we're going to turn on for the debate. And I'd be curious to see how that might change the pattern or the frequency of students logging in if they knew that something has been updated as opposed to just coming in to check, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wish Moodle had a, like a really great mobile app that might show me a limited but useful alerts on my phone and had like a dashboard that you just click on it and get an overview because the way it is now, it's kind of, you go into it and then you have to click around to see what's new or you get like a bunch of emails that are kind of seem like a little too much, a little too heavy for just to know every time something's been updated or posted. I mean, I think there might be plugins that do that, but otherwise a lot of it is incumbent on the instructional design itself or the instructional designer to make it clear that, that this is new or something has been added. 
And I think just from a design perspective, I think those are things that possibly could be improved either on Moodle's end or on our end, because I, I feel like students should be expected to just log in every day just for check, you know, check for updates. They might log in more often, even if they logged in, if they could immediately see in one screen, like what's happening. Whereas yeah. Moodle doesn't do a good job with that, in my opinion. But yeah. until we rewrite Moodle, you know, <laughs> that's what we have. Maybe uh, that'll be someone's master's thesis. They could write a, a nice dashboard plugin or find one that they customize. So yeah, uh, I'm looking at the overall, I'm thinking about this too, and I'm looking at the total activity log and I see that I have 824 actions to date. So I'm, I've got a narrow lead on Penelope who's got 669 actions, but probably like a better learning analytics would be to, to I don't know how to do this with the data we have or with Tableau. It might be my project for the week. If I could actually break down Within each user, I'm looking at the um, the kind of uh, area chart where it lays it out. If I could break down the types of activities per user inside of that so we could see whether they're just viewing things or editing things uh, and what type of activity each person is doing yeah. within their total activity, maybe I'll see if I can get that working for next week. So that would be the event name, right? Yeah. Probably I would have to prep it so I could group all of the edits as one type of thing and group all the views as another thing. So the other thing is also that the data is only as good as what is collected, right? You know, like we can't do more than what Moodle automatically collects. So I think that's a limitation of Moodle because we don't we don't have any control. Right. So, you know, we can have some control over, you know, after it comes to us, we can do the cleaning, which is kind of the exercise. Yeah. Well, the way we organize the course, that's why I reorganized it into that topics view. So you only see one at a time because then we get more discrete data. The way I had it set up initially with every topic on the main page, mm -hmm. all you know is that they went to the site. But now you can at least compare week two from week three and get a sense of, of what parts of the site are catching the, the user's attention and, and where they're going. Yeah. But maybe there's a little more we can do to organize it. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll look at the logs and, and see. One thing I do like, that Moodle has a live log view. Mm -hmm. So I can actually move around on the site and see what log data it creates at the same time just by having two windows open. Mm. So that was useful when I was creating the, the data visualization for the Moodle data. Okay. All right. So, Enough about the Moodle data, right? Yeah. <laughs> we skipped the reading. Is that okay? Do we need to talk about the reading? Well, I talked about it a fair amount last week. Well, you're the one that selected that paper. Why don't you just give oh, us a <laughs> – why don't you tell us why you tortured the students with a <laughs> – There wasn't a discussion on this reading. No, there, right? there wasn't because I, I wanted them to to focus on the, the Tableau stuff. And I knew so that maybe the students be a lot loved to get it. it set up. Uh. It, it might be. I actually interesting because I know your podcast talked about the realism stuff, which I love that the philosophical stuff. But I uh -huh. but I kind of glossed over it myself when I did the reading, and I thought it was interesting when they talked about just kind of broadly how they broke down building analytics, the taxonomy of educational analytics part about the patterns, which is kind of what we were just talking about, the en enhancing feedback for students and teachers, which is. I guess that's part of the dashboard that is what Tableau is able to do. Although it doesn't give feedback that is particularly useful from a performance point of view, right? It tells you click you know, login stuff. It doesn't tell you anything that would help students know about their performance. This is just kind of for the, kind of extending the discussion we had before about what is analytics and 
how can we use both data and then kind of the visual aspect of it because I think they kind of go together to make sense of to, you know either for metacognitive reasons or just for both teachers and students to have a better way of keeping track of their work throughout the system. Just made me think of something that I probably should have mentioned in the first week. We've talked a lot about data and kind of the, the early readings have been focused on machine learning and AI and big data and data science. But the whole idea of, of visualization goes back to, to learning theory and cognition and the idea that it's very hard cognitively for humans to make sense of numbers. Like we have to look at them, study them, think about them, talk about it. But if we can find a good visual representation, then we can draw on like our whole human history of evolution and evolutionary psychology to make sense of visual and spatial data, which humans are really good at analyzing very quickly. That's why we want to use shapes and colors and, you know, spatial relationships when we do the visualizations, because that's like a, a much shorter cognitive process than having to actually read text and parse out numbers. And we don't have any any real adaptive mechanisms for doing that. As we get more into the course now, we're going to move towards some of the visualization and multimedia cognition side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where learning analytics could be most effective as we do more with it. It might also mean that we need to collect more data. I, don't, I, think, I think the Moodle data or data like what Moodle collects is very limited, in my view anyway, in what they can tell us beyond kind of design and stuff like that. Yeah, And it will be kind of interesting to see how the debate goes next week, what we think about data, because all the stuff that, you know, what you talked about requires some kind of measurement, some kind of observation, or something has to be collected, then transformed into a visual thing or a way for us to make sense of. And I think it could be used in a beneficial way, or it could be misused, I guess. And I think that's kind of what next week will be about. Let, let's talk about the debate a little bit, and let me start with an apology. I posted the instructions, and I only had days of week and not dates, so it made it appear that things were suddenly going to be due for the debate. But really, I have this assignment envisioned as a two-week assignment, where week one is you're gathering data and organizing information, and then week two, we're actually going to play out the debate um, as kind of a semi-synchronous, asynchronous debate that is hopefully a good match for the format of an online course. So we have, um, one is a, is a video of a lecture, one is an audio or a video of an interview and lecture, and then the third item is a reading. So, so I, I think between them, they lay out what a lot of the big strokes of ethics and big data are. So the first one, we have O'Neill's lecture at Google. It's one of the Google Talk series. It's also what the first year students read. I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> it's Weapons of Math Destruction was the Adelphi Reads book. Between Weapons of Math Destruction and then the Douglas Rushkoff interview, I think we really get a lot of interesting ideas. And neither um, McNamee or O'Neill are against data, for sure. So even though they're they're pessimistic of where we are right now, they're they're pessimistic in the right way. They're not they're not Luddites. They're not saying like we need to to burn this down. They're saying we need to think differently about what we're doing with data. In O'Neill's talk, she does a really good idea of 
showing how kind of traditional biases can be kind of recreated within our, our big data systems and how algorithms can just reinforce these kind of institutional biases that already exist. And then uh, in, in the interview with, with Rushkoff, so, so this dude, Douglas Rushkoff, is a faculty member at CUNY, and he does a, a podcast called Team Human, where he interviews someone who's working in this area of like human and social interactions and computing. So he interviewed uh, Roger McNamee, who was one of the early investors in Facebook, and uh, he wrote a book called Zucked, where he kind of talks about where Facebook went off the rails and went wrong and how it kind of changed from what he thought would be a positive thing for society to a negative thing. So there's some stuff in there that's not necessarily immediately relevant, but I think you will find interesting. I think it's useful for anyone in this course or in this program. But in particular, he talks about a concept that O'Neill doesn't really get into that much and this idea of not just data being used to predict things but also being used to nudge us in certain directions. So the way that these predictive algorithms aren't just reporting data, but actually influencing behavior. And when we talk about learning, like that's why we teach, right? We want to influence behavior. I think it's a particularly interesting ethical question because on the one hand, it's one of the most powerful positive possibilities of learning analytics but it also brings in a whole host of questions about autonomy and respect and things like that. I was wondering if we can give the students any tips because so the red team, they have to argue against big data in education. Yeah. Right? Um, and, they, and they provide the, the three scenarios. So it's, I think for them, it's clear what, what they need to do, you know, just to prepare. But I was thinking the blue team, what advice can we give them? Because they don't, they can't really, because uh, they're responding right. to the scenarios. Yes. Um, do you think they should wait? Well, I don't, I don't think, that, I definitely don't think they should wait. I think this debate is kind of, we've inverted the typical format, right? Where the opponents of the position are going to go first. Yeah. And the idea with the scenarios is you create the most realistic kind of worst case scenarios that you can think of. And particularly if you can find ones that won't be easily refuted given the past and the current like trajectory of learning analytics. So that's kind of the task for the red team, right? To lay these out. Mm -hmm. But I think the blue team have a couple things. They should probably start thinking of red team scenarios on their own so that they can come up with some likely things mm -hmm. that, that the red team is, is going to throw at them. And then they should come up in, you know, the manner of like a formal debate. They should come up with what they think the strongest cases are for learning analytics mm -hmm. and their task on the spot or be just not a live debate. They need to find a way to work those points in. Mm -hmm. So if you think that there's, if the blue team can come up with like the five things that they think make learning analytics like really powerful, they're going to need to articulate them and then during the debate, they're going to have to find a way to work them in that, that seems plausible. So, you know, that, that's their task. If you think about like the presidential debates, um, it works really well when somebody actually answers the question <laughs> and seems prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And it works terribly when they just ignore the question and just repeat like their stump points. So it's kind of the same thing for this. Like you need the, the blue team has to take the red team's scenario seriously because if you just ignore the issues they raise, but makes them also make good points, 
it's not the same as, as specifically refuting their scenarios and showing how we can work past them. I think that's going to be helpful. Yeah, I expect some questions will come up. That's why we have the Slack groups. We created private groups for each team, and Aaron and I are in both groups. So, you know, just mention us in the channel, and we'll we'll chime in and, and help out. So, yep. Um, now that I'm back, I'm you don't have to only email Matt. You can also email me, but feel free to email Matt as well, of course. When you go on to Slack, you'll see there's the LA for Learning Analytic Ethics Blue Team and LA Ethics Red Team. So the Red Team, uh, and I want to say they're already up and running, but they've they seem pretty organized. The Blue Team, I think they're just getting getting their act together with Robert posted while we're making this podcast to to start things off um, in case he's already joined that group too. The teams are posted on Moodle. And then if you go into Slack, you should see in your channels, the invitation to either the blue team or the red team channel. Um, Anything else that you want to talk about? I guess the last thing I want to mention is that we, we have a participation grade for the course and we've split it so that there's kind of a midpoint grade and then an endpoint grade. So, by the end of next week, we're going to grade you and just give you some feedback on how we think your participation is going so far. And that's really how you're doing in all of the ungraded work. So with the readings, with the postings, talking on Slack, communicating with us. So also think about it this week, you know, if you're happy with how you've been interacting with the class or also ways that it could be better for you. You know, just it's a time for us to reflect on that part of the class before we go too much farther. It sounds good. All right, then looking forward to seeing more work. We're around if you need us. And feel free to use the Slack channel as well to ask one another questions. Um, I don't know if you've been doing that, but I think that's partially why we use Slack is that you can talk to each other and get help from one another. Yeah, learning and teaching shouldn't be scarce. With so many people, you know, there's a lot to learn and to teach from each other. Yes. All right. I think Um, that's it for me, Aaron. Okay, sounds good. All right, man. Enjoy Spider-Man. (laughs) <laughs> Take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.